let's be real. Lawsuits are no fun, but with Paulson and Nace, at least they are a little easier. With two DC-born partners, Paulson and Nace will fight for you the way only a Washingtonian could. Paulson and Nace handles medical malpractice, wrongful death, and other complex injury cases involving negligence. So if you have been hurt or lost a loved one because of someone else's mistake or negligence, call Paulson and Nace for a no-obligation consultation. Visit www.paulsonandnace.com or call 202-463-1999. Today on CityCast DC, we are talking about a wild new future of downtown DC. We're also going to talk abortion and politics in Maryland and a possible catnapping in Foggy Bottom. The Washington Post's Michael Bryce Sadler and CityCast contributor Dan Reed are here with me. Today is Friday, March 1st. I'm Michael Schaefer, and here's what DC is talking about. Dan, Michael, welcome. Good morning. How are you? Good morning. I'm good. Michael, you covered this on Monday. The mayor assembled a bunch of civic worthies at the Woolly Mammoth Theater downtown to roll out a pretty bold or you know, pretty ambitious re-envisioning of downtown DC and, and uh, a neighborhood that a lot of people associate with sort of nine to five office canyons. And they're imagining it being quite different. Can you explain this? Yeah, Michael. I mean, I think ambitious is the right word for this. It's 401 million in new spending proposals over the next five years. And that's all types of categories. We have public safety, we have trying to bring workers back downtown, we have residential conversions, pretty much any strategy that has been thrown out there over the last couple of years, it's being incorporated into this plan in some form or fashion. And the hope is to get revenues back from uh, where we were pre-pandemic levels to get those back so that the city's finances can stabilize a bit. So the backstory is a thing we've talked about a lot on our pod and that you know is being talked about everywhere, which is the sort of sense of crime up, offices still not occupied, storefronts empty, bad vibes, bad headlines, a sense of like, are we in an urban death spiral? And like you said, they're doing kind of two things. One is like, yes, let's get the offices back and all that stuff. But it's also sort of acknowledging that whatever city you're in, whether it's this one or another, the mode where you've got a bunch of people come down, work, and then go home is probably not sufficient anymore. And what's kind of amazing is this vision of downtown Washington, which K Street, like 100 years ago or 150 years ago, had row houses on it, but not in our lifetimes has it been thought of as a, a residential neighborhood. No. And, um, you know, this thing has been more than a year in the making, and city leaders have been pretty clear eyed in the fact that 2019 as much as we wanted to, or as much as city leaders wanted to, is not coming back for downtown. It has to be something robustly and dramatically different to get revenues back on track and be to meet the city's goals as it pertains to population growth. The mayor wants 15,000 new residents downtown within the next decade. So how do you get there if most of the buildings are offices and a lot of them are increasingly vacant? That's the challenge that the city's trying to figure out. But it's not just public safety or housing conversions. It's also these other really dramatic ways of 
reimagining, and I kind of hate using those re-words, but it's hard not to in this My case. My God, the mayor used the word visioning in her statement, which <laughs> just the English student in me cringe. It's a little too much, but you look at some of the mock-ups they've created, especially uh, geographically, like imagining some type of history triangle between Farragut Square, Franklin Park, and Lafayette Square, or an I Street Greenway, where you try to connect all of the parks that dot I Street and make it this walkable path that's going to attract visitors from the National Mall and White House. Will it work? I don't know, but I think uh, in any event, it would make downtown a lot cooler. So I think that's a plus, but um, it's going to take a while for this stuff to be realized and it's going to cost money. So Dan, this is like up your alley in terms of professional interests. What do you make of it? These are things they should have been doing anyway. (laughs) I think I've said this on here before, right? But you go to a lot of other major American cities. Now I used to live in Philly, but you know, Chicago, New York, whatever. Um, downtown isn't just a place to work, but a place where people live, a place where you go out after work to go eat or, or drink, a place where there might be some you know, other shopping aside from like the dry cleaners and the eye doctor and stuff. And that's something DC has never had, at least in recent memory. And I sort of just see, see this as DC catching up to like where other cities already are in terms of creating the kind of downtown environment that people want to spend more time in. All right. So we've talked on this pod about how hard it is to take one of these like 1960s office buildings with no opening, with windows don't open and, and a deep footprint, turn it into a place anyone would want to live because a lot of those buildings are very far from the window. But when I think about, you know, if there was an apartment for me, even if they made a nice one at like 19th and L, why wouldn't I want to live there? And I think of things like grocery stores and dog parks and so on, and kind of stores I might want to shop at. Are there provisions in this idea that uh, for how they're going to change that equation? Yes and no. So right now, the plan that was released is missing some granular level of detail that they're expecting to, and when I say they, I mean the downtown bid and the Golden Triangle bid and the federal city council and city officials who have worked on this are expecting it made to have a fully fleshed out kind of itemized, here's how this needs to be done type of plan. Right now, what we have is some pretty broad buckets and uh, an overview of how they think this needs to work. So I think when you talk about things like grocery stores and the needs for uh, residents downtown, there's 40 million broadly in that category. And I think all the things you discussed to actually attract uh, someone to move from elsewhere in the city or move from a different state to DC and specifically move downtown, there's a lot that needs to be addressed for that to be a stable environment to raise a family to have, you know, elderly people living. It's it, where are people going to park? Or just to cook dinner. Right, right. There's so many questions that remain unanswered, but to Dan's point, DC is taking notes from other cities on how they've successfully done this and they're trying to incorporate some of that specifically in just making it livable and attractive from other cities and their downtowns. I did my political column about it this week too and talking to sort of city official types, they are of the view they've got a great story to tell, except for downtown, that that you have these neighborhoods like at the Capitol Waterfront, around Union Market, and uh, Noma, that are uh, thriving, that have uh, offices that people actually want to be at, and residences, and places to eat, things to buy. If only downtown could be turned into a place where people are going to kind of aim for quality. Uh, is there anybody who has who's against this idea? I mean, I think when you talk about opposition, there are folks who 
look at the focus on downtown right now and say, we have communities all across the city that have long needed this type of attention. And I think that's a perfectly valid case to make. You're not seeing these types of robust plans to fix communities in need. There's different strategies to do that, but nothing quite like this. And I think uh, we've seen a lot of revitalization across the city uh, over the years. But what the mayor would argue and what you know, I think people who have a keen sense of the city's finances would argue is that if downtown isn't stabilized, those investments that would aid other communities and help to enhance those areas for residents, we won't have the funds to do that if we are losing millions because we have vacant offices downtown with declining uh, tax assessments. So it's kind of like we have to deal with this to be able to help the rest of the city. That report had some pretty jaw-dropping numbers in terms of how much tax revenue the city has lost from downtown. Yeah, they said it's declined $243 million, uh, in terms of annual revenue since 2019, uh, and that could further spiral an additional $193 million over the next five to 10 years without intervention. I guess what you're saying is that's money that could be used to pay for schools or improving other neighborhoods or, or what have you. Precisely, or simply social services, which we've seen over the past year, there's insanely high demand for things like rental assistance and food assistance. And to have the funds to do that, the city says we need downtown in better shape. So just to be clear, it's not all about luring uh, residents and, and so on. There's some kind of good old fashioned urban spectacle stuff, a big that, that they it's sort of unclear, but like something big will go where the arena is leaving. The idea being to continue to have that as a, a tourism and out-of-towner hub, possibly including the current FBI site. You know, when I think, oh, what can you do with a big city block that gets people coming in, my mind goes to like casinos and stuff, which I think makes a lot of people shudder. But what what sort of things are on the table for that? Because it's not, there's no detail offered. Right. I mean, so things that have been thrown out there are trying to enhance the offerings as far as arts and entertainment, as far as public festivals. Like there's a lot of talk about the Chinatown winter holiday market and how popular that is among residents when they cordon off certain streets and just make them walkable and people can shop and eat and listen to live music. And it's only for a couple of weeks during the year. And residents are like, we like this. We like being able to come out and just walk around, not have to dodge traffic and yes, enjoy being outside. So the city's thinking, okay, well, why don't we turn this into something that's year-round? We have different types of markets. We offer live music, and we incentivize people to come down and do this instead of just making it a few weeks out of the year. And that's something people have asked for a long time. So in some sense, this is the city listening to what residents and visitors downtown say they like, trying to enhance those offerings. Will it be enough for someone to actually move downtown is the bigger question that remains to be seen. It's time to get dressed up, DC. So Others Might Eat is having its Young Professionals Network Spring Soiree that's to help raise funds for homelessness in DC. The gala is on the evening of May 17th at the National Museum of Women in the Arts. There will be live music from DJ Heat from the Washington Wizards, photo booths, food, and even a special appearance by a former actor from Pretty Little Liars. Wow. There will also be a canned food drive, so be sure to bring a few cans to support Sum's Food Pantry. Grab tickets before they're gone at sum.org slash spring soiree. 
That's S-O-M-E dot O-R-G slash Spring Soiree. See you there. Dan, you are a boater in the state of Maryland, I'm pretty sure, uh, which means you'll have a choice to make this year. There's a big Senate race. There's a hotly contested Democratic primary. And now it turns out there's going to be possibly a hotly contested actual general election because the former Republican governor, Larry Hogan, who got himself reelected despite Maryland being such a blue state, is running. There's news this month that there's going to be a ballot issue for reproductive rights. My sense is that's the thing the Democrats are counting on to prevent a Larry Hogan surprise. What do you make of it? So, yeah, when uh, Marylanders go to the polls this year in November, they're going to be asked uh, if they'd like to basically enshrine abortion rights into the state constitution. It'll be called the Maryland Right to Reproductive Freedom Amendment. And this is something that the governor signed basically last year during last year's General Assembly session. This is part of like a broader push from the governor to protect basically people's access to health care that is increasingly like not allowed in other states. The state made abortion legally protected from prosecution by other states. Like if someone's coming here from, say, Texas, where abortion is illegal, the state couldn't come after them in Maryland. Uh, and there's a similar bill for uh, gender affirming care this year. So this was already in the works before uh, Ben Cardin even announced that he was uh, stepping down from his Senate seat. So it's for Democrats who are are hoping that uh, Larry Hogan's bid to run for Senate this year gets uh, stymied, like this might be a useful assist. What's Hogan's deal on abortion rights? You know, New Maryland has had, at least in the recent past, a, a history of electing moderate-ish Republicans. When he was governor, you know, Larry Hogan tended to sidestep a lot of these social issues, but he said that even though he personally does not agree with abortion, he thinks the government should stay out of it. So I've always thought of like, the, you know, your, your sort of affluent suburban D.C. voters as if you just look at the stats. These are overwhelmingly blue counties. But I think a lot of people personally like to flatter themselves of thinking like I'm the kind of person who could pull the lever for anybody because I'm not a, some sort of lockstep partisan. And uh, so Hogan, you know, was very much able to play on that. Right. That if you give per people permission, they're very eager to prove to themselves how bipartisan they are. Do you think that's going to work for him in a. Senate race. It's, I think it's a lot easier to do that in a state house, particularly when you've got a huge Democratic legislature. Yeah, that's that's a good question. You know, he was pretty popular as governor. You know, he he built a campaign infrastructure that was basically about him. You know, less so about the Republican brand. And you know, he got more votes in Montgomery County, which people think of as like the bluest part of the state, than he did in the entire like all the Eastern Shore counties combined. Right. On the other hand, Maryland hasn't elected a Republican senator since 1987. And Larry Hogan has never run in a presidential year election because in Maryland, governor elections are an off year. So turnout's going to be a lot higher this year, which especially with you know what's happening at the presidential level could be not great for him. Maryland Democrats who haven't been afraid to vote for him for governor are probably pretty motivated to keep Donald Trump out this year. In the primary race, I mean, the leading candidates, David Trone and as a member of Congress representing parts of Montgomery County. And Angela also Brooks, who's the county executive of PG County. You know, there's historically been this sort of Baltimore area versus Washington area divide within Maryland. This time for the Democrats, it's two DC area people. Is there any consensus about who would like be stronger against Hogan? 
That's a good question. You know, whether uh, David Trone or Angela Alsobrooks wins the Democratic primary sets up like two very different races, right? You know, Angela Alsobrooks would be the first black senator in Maryland and the first black female senator in Maryland. And so there's a, you know, a real like historical significance to that that might motivate Democrats. On the other hand, David Trone and Larry Hogan both sort of have a brand as like business homies. You know, David Trone is the owner of Total Wine. Larry Hogan owned a development firm. I could also see that be a really interesting comparison between two people who have a somewhat similar profile, but different politics. I'm really curious to see what's going to happen. So I don't know if this made the discussion at the mayor's downtown event, but the folks at the GW Hatchet, the student paper at George Washington University, reported on a pretty awesome neighborhood squabble involving a cat. And it's it's sort of a story about urban infrastructure and class and a bunch of other things. The Kitty Snows uh, was this cat that was brought into this neighborhood as part of the city's blue collar cats program, which placed sort of semi-feral cats in urban neighborhoods in the name of rat abatement. The neighbors are supposed to look out for them, feed them, provide veterinary care, et cetera. So Kitty Snows was out ratting around Foggy Bottom and everyone seemed to like her. And then one day she vanished. And it turned out that a woman who lives in the Watergate, her dog walker had spotted this cat and felt the cat was not doing well, had some sort of scabs on the nose and was undernourished. And took her in, which she thinks of as a you know, humanitarian gesture, an act of decency. And the foggy bottomers think of as like, well, they didn't use the word catnapping or cat burglary, but that's sort of the context that, wait a minute, our cat who we're taking care of and we have taken to the vet, that according to the foggy bottom neighbors said that the nose stuff was just seasonal allergies, according to the Watergate resident, the vet said, this is bad and this cat cannot be let back outside. But it's sort of a you know funny kind of controversy that one of the interesting things in cities is when there's kind of shared possession of something, whether that something is like a neighborhood park or a neighborhood cat. And then someone is not aware of the unstated rules and does something different, not out of malice, but because they think it's the right thing to do. I mean, in my view, shout out to the hatchet, first of all, for getting to the bottom of this. What a 100%. Like, quintessential community story, as you put it, Michael. Um, and it is hard to look at either side as acting in malice here. You have someone who feels like they're helping a kitty in need, as you <laughs> noted. And then you have a community that's like, well, this belonged to all of us. And someone taking ownership kind of defeats the purpose of that. I'm skittish on taking sides because truly, I don't know. I, I would love to see how this concludes itself, but it really is a shame. I think I saw in that story that it took them like two years to get approved for that cat. So if you know the community no longer has that, that's just really a shame. And hopefully there can maybe at least be a, a new cat that can be brought in to help. If uh, a kitty snows um, you know, is out of commission, I hope someone else can come in and take over. There's also sort of like a, you know, the ongoing debate among cat people between whether cats should be let outdoors or whether they should stay indoors. You know, and, and one of the arguments people have against outdoor cats is there, there are a lot of, there are a lot of ways an outdoor cat get beaten up. 
whether because of exposure to weather or malicious people or like a car or something, but another cat, another cat, not forget the cat on cat file. (laughs) It's real. And so I think that's part of what's happening in the background here is that it sounds like the, the, the woman in the Watergate probably has some feelings about whether cat should be outside in the first place, which is why she brought the cat in. But there's also, I think it's kind of rough for a cat who has been living outside and whose job has literally been to catch and destroy rats to be like inside an apartment. Like it's a very different life and a very different quality of life for a cat who hasn't been doing that. What really strikes me about this also is like where this is happening with the cat and the, and the cat controversy is like literally six blocks from the places we are talking about as the mayor trying to lure residents and create you know, infrastructure to have, you know, more people there outside of office hours. And you just sort of see how in a foggy bottom, which I think a lot of people, you know, who don't live there see as, well, that's just a bunch of students and so on. But you see how sort of human community and life like comes right up like weeds through the sidewalk, you know? Foggy bottom is kind of the neighborhood that that people are talking about creating in downtown, right? Like a, a dense urban neighborhood where people also live and and go to the grocery store and do like everyday people things. And I'm going to say Foggy Bottom, no stranger to community issues. There's been a debate over a homeless shelter that's in the works that the city purchased in order to help certain populations of homeless people. There's a group of neighbors that's been fighting that for months. It's in court. And you have a very divisive dynamic over whether this would be a help to the community or whether it would hurt the community Maybe not as low stakes as Mr. Snow, the cat, but I will say Foggy Bottom is just a a hotbed of these types of conversations. Right. And if they can incubate that downtown, well, I guess residents are always a lot better in theory than in practice for public officials. Touche. Hey, you guys, thank you so much for being here. Thanks for having me. Thanks, Michael. Michael, come back soon. Of course. And Dan, I'll see you in a couple of weeks. Yeah, I'll see you later. That is all for today here on CityCast DC. Our senior executive producer is Priyanka Tilvey. Our senior producer is Julia Karen. Our newsletter editor is Kayla Cote Stemmerman. Our production assistant is Ash Durbin. And our hosts are Bridget Todd and me, Michael Schaefer from Politico. Music is by Alex Roldan. If you enjoyed the show, why don't you name your neighborhood Feral Cat CityCast or CityCat DC? We'll be back Monday morning with more news from around the city. Bye.